Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, we've had a great journey so far through the letter of the Ephesians. We've been on this for the last few weeks now, and we've been working through chapter by chapter, taking a look at large passages in each of them. So we started in Ephesians chapter 1 with a look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And then we shifted over to what's the foundation of the letter. That's chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, where Paul speaks about how Jesus created one new people in his death and resurrection. We are all united in Christ, man. We're one. And that message of unity weaves in and out all throughout the letter from that point forward. So unity shows up again in Ephesians chapter 3. We learned that this was the mystery that people knew about in the Old Testament, but weren't really sure how it would come about. And so Paul tells us that God's plan was to unite us. And and you know what else? You know, God takes his united church and he displays his wisdom through us. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 4 and to a very important break in the letter. So the first three chapters are are much more theologically centered and kind of heavy a little bit to a certain extent. But the last three chapters, verses, you know, chapters 4, 5, and 6, well, they're full of practical ramifications. In fact, Ephesians has more practical teaching and application than any other letter in the New Testament. And it all builds off of what Paul teaches in the first three chapters. So let's take a look at the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, where this break begins to happen. And specifically, I want to start with what becomes the summary for the rest of the letter in chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 all right Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, these verses form the framework for what Paul's going to be working in throughout the rest of the letter. All of chapter 6, all of chapter 5, all of the rest of chapter 4, they fit in this framework of these three verses right here. And, and what is it that Paul wants his readers to know? Well, it's simply this, that to live a life worthy of your calling, you, you've got to focus on unity. I, I, I know, I know, man. <laughs> You're like, Pastor, unity again. Yes, again. Unity is the major theme in Ephesians. It's all throughout the letter. And so Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to know they need to live their lives worthy of their calling. But that's not possible if they don't focus on unity. Now, calling here refers not to a profession, but to salvation, to the responsibility that we have as Christians to live our lives shaped by what Christ has done for us. So look at what unity looks like from an individual perspective. Look look at how Paul describes the character of somebody who's following Jesus. They're humble 
they're gentle, they're patient, they make allowances for each other. In other words, they're putting up with other people in the body of Christ. All because of what? Well, because of love, you know, because he, as he says in verse number three, like we're to be united with the Spirit of God and each other. And that's the framework, unity with God and each other. He's going to continue this in verses four, five, and six by diving a little bit into the motivation behind this unity. It comes, by the way, from the oneness of God. And then he'll lead us to where I really want to focus today. We're going to spend some time talking about a little bodybuilding, okay? So look, look, let's look at verse number four in our chapter. Paul says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Verse number seven, however, he's given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world and the same, uh, and the same one who descended is the same one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Verse number 11, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So much to unpack there, and we can't cover every facet uh, that's in that passage, but we're going to focus on, on a, a portion of it here today. So how does the body of Christ stay unified with God and each other? Well, we, we got to do a little bit of bodybuilding. How many of you guys, you know, you like working out? I, I'm not the biggest fan of it, <laughs> okay? I, I, I'm active. I like to be active. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I'm just not as active as I probably should be. Uh, I, I don't like weightlifting. It's just not my thing. Never has been. I don't really like gyms, but I love being outside, high running, heavy yard work, whatever, like I know that I'm outside working, I'm in good shape. The truth is there's different multiple ways to, to get in shape, right? You can be a bodybuilder, you can do intermittent fasting, Peloton, you can run, you can do aerobics, you can you know, portion food out correctly. Like there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to, to build muscle, stay healthy, you know, trim some fat, that kind of thing. But there's not exactly one specific way which does it all perfectly, right? And so all these different ways to get in shape are attempting to accomplish the exact same thing. They want to get you healthy. Now if you're looking at the church, the body of Christ, how do we stay healthy? How do we stay unified? How do we keep that, that character that Paul outlines in the first few chapters here today? Like we, we, have to, we have to do what? We have to build each other up. And, and we do that with the gifts that God has given us. See, these spiritual gifts, they build ministry. And as ministry is built, the body of Christ is also built. Verse number seven, Paul explains that each person in the body of Christ has been given a special gift. In the Greek language that he's writing in, it's actually called a grace gift. And a grace gift is a spiritual gift that God has given us, designated specifically for the ministry that he's called you to. 
These are the gifts that, that you and I don't deserve. Like we can't earn them, we can't buy them, we can't be good enough for them, and so hence the name grace, right? They're given to us solely at God's discretion. Romans 12, 6 and 8 gives some examples of what these gifts look like. Romans 12, 6 and 8 uh, says this, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, we'll serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well, right? If your gift is to encourage others, hey, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God is giving you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness, do it gladly. Now, each of these gifts is for the intended use of building up the, the body of Christ. And each believer has at least you know, one of these. And a few weeks, we're going to start our growth track cycle again for the fall at Radiant Church. And growth track at Radiant happens really in two steps. It takes you, you know, two Sundays to complete if you're here in person. The first step tells you about who we are as a church. But the second step is about you and how has God gifted you? How has He wired your personality to make a difference? You know, we help you discover what your purpose is. And in that process, we help you discover the gifts the Lord's giving you to be effective in ministry and make a difference in the world around you. No one gift is more important than any other gift. I know sometimes we might think that, you know, certain gifts have a bigger role because they seem to have a bigger platform. You know, like the guy who's gifted in teaching, he gets to be on stage, you know, front and center. Or, or maybe they're, he's the guy leading a small group, you know. Um, they must have more important gifts than, than the gift of kindness, right? <laughs> no, not, not exactly. A spiritual gift's uniqueness doesn't really determine its value in the body of Christ. That's counter to what we would think, of course, right? But God often works in ways that are very counter to our own thinking, our own intuition. So rather than value the spiritual gift, is actually determined by the individual's use of that gift. So if you never use what God's given you, is it valuable? No, it's, it's pretty worthless, right? And Jesus tells a story about this using three servants. It illustrates this point. They're given different amounts of money. And after a while, each one's called in to give an account for how they handled the money they were given. The first two invested their amounts and they got a positive ROI, return on investment, right? Uh, but listen to what happens to the third servant here, okay? Matthew chapter 25, verse number 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. So you were harvesting crops you didn't plant, you gathered crops you didn't cultivate. So I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. He dug a hole, man. Look, here's your money back, right? Verse number 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten a little bit of interest on it. Now the servant in the story <laughs> does not have a good ending, okay? I'll put it that way. The point of the story is that we already use the gifts that God has given you. You know, you, you can't, as our teaching last week talked about in Ephesians chapter 3, you can't be passive. Like, there's no such thing as passive Christianity. It's not an option. God's grace enlists and empowers you. Spiritual gifts, they're given to build up ministry and create kingdom impact. We're to do something with our gifts, but we, we can't do nothing with our gifts. And so Paul goes on to list some very specific gifts in our passage. But they look more like positions, don't they? You know, apostles, teachers, prophets. Something to keep in mind as we read and study the New Testament, all right? There's a distinct difference between opposite 
is and leadership roles and spiritual gifts. They might share the same names, but they're not always viewed in the same context, okay? And so what Paul is communicating here is there are those with the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy, the gift of teaching, the gift of pastoring. There's definitely you know, overlap with those gifts too. But they're, they're not positions of leadership, at least not in the context of Ephesians chapter 4. These are gifts. So just to give you an idea of, of how some of them work, okay? Someone with the gift of apostleship well, shows itself in a person who has the ability to, to plant churches, you know, maybe even in, in unreached places. The gift of prophecy, well, that's typically found in somebody who builds up the church and others through divine revelation. The evangelist is the person who is gifted at winning people to Christ. The pastor, he's the one who cares for other people. And the teaching gift, well, that's the guy or or our lady who is great at instructing and teaching from God's Word. They're gifted that way. All these gifts, by the way, build ministry. They're all used by Christians to effectively minister to the people within and outside of the body of Christ. And you likely have one of these gifts. And and if not, you know, one of these specifically, that's okay. You got at least one of them, okay? So just remember that you're to use these gifts to build up the ministry in God's kingdom. Don't be passive. Don't sit on the sidelines. Use what God has given you, all right? So Paul wants his readers to know that gifts build ministry, but something else builds up the body of Christ as well. Now, as we're about to see in the next verse, growth builds maturity. Growth builds maturity. Look at verse number 14. Paul says, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by you know, every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced and people try to trick us with lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. What makes somebody a mature believer, mature Christian? We think of someone growing and being mature, we often think of age, right? So the older a person gets, we assume the more mature they get, the more wisdom they attain. And that is true. Like, for certainly that's true. However, spiritually speaking, remember, God does things contrary, right? Spiritually speaking, age has got nothing to do with maturity. Someone who isn't grown up yet in the faith, spiritually, is a person Paul characterizes as being tossed around by different teaching, right? They're not solid or rooted. Typically, and I would argue not always, a person who isn't mature in their faith yet is somebody who not only doesn't really know God's Word, but also doesn't understand it. So to be fair here, it does take you know, time to know and understand God's Word. You can't do it overnight or in a matter of weeks, right? The truth is, you can know God's Word, right? I mean, you can quote Scripture, you can know the stories, but not understand them. And that person, you know, they'd be immature as well. But that person may be somebody who's been a follower of Christ for like, you know, decades even, as opposed to being a new believer. One of the frustrations I have is, is that we live in a time where information is more accessible than at any other point in human history. There is no reason, no reason, for you not to learn and grow in any area that you choose. And that includes, by the way, uh, understanding Scripture and applying it correctly to your life, something that we call hermeneutics in, in theological circles. There are multiple resources available to help you grow in that area. If you want any direction, hey, we're right here at Radiant, ready to help you. Just ask us. Like, we want to equip you to grow in that way. The one thing I'll say, just be careful about your sources. (laughs) Don't go to Wikipedia, for the love of God. Don't go to Wikipedia. (laughs) All right, don't do it. Don't trust everything you find in Google or the Kindle store. You want biblically centered and grounded sources to learn and grow from. So again, 
reach out and ask us. We'll help you move in the right direction. Spiritual growth is necessary for you to flex those spiritual muscles, okay? You know, if your body doesn't consume you know, healthy food, it doesn't actually feed those muscles the energy it needs to grow and go to work. If all you eat is junk, those muscles are going to starve. You got to feed your muscles the right healthy food to get the right energy that they need. So treat your spiritual growth in the same manner. You cannot count Sunday, for example, as the only time you're feeding your soul. You got to get in the Word every day. You got to know what God asks of us. You got to take Scripture and correctly apply it to your life. You got to feed your soul the spiritual nutrients that you need to grow. Now, notice I focused on you. I, I didn't say it was my job to feed you. Yeah, you have to work at getting to a place, man, where you can feed yourself. So over the years, I've heard that phrase that I think every pastor dreads hearing. And they dread it because the person who utters that phrase doesn't seem to understand the concept of spiritual growth. And it's simply this. It says, I, I'm just, you know, I'm not being fed here. Now, let me just be really honest in a brutal manner for a moment. If you know how to use that phrase, you ought to know how to feed yourself. You can't be dependent on the teaching a pastor brings for you to grow. If you're a new believer, we expect that because you have no idea. This is all brand new for you. Well, we have to teach you and help you and get you going. You know, but both of my kids, you know, they started off in this world drinking milk, right? And uh, they depend on us to get their food. Even now as a five-year-old, my oldest depends on us to get his food, warm it up, that kind of thing. But as they grow, they can get their own food. You know, they don't need their sandwich cut in little squares. You know, they, 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 they can eat just fine. Eventually, they'll cook their own food too. Probably better than what I do. They'll clean their own dishes. <laughs> they'll be completely independent of us as parents. That's how it works. We expect that, right? So why do we have Christians then who are following Christ for 10, 20, 30 years, sucking on steak-flavored juice and spiritual milk? There has to come to a point where you grow up spiritually to read God's Word and apply it correctly and grow yourself. And what you encounter on Sunday, it's icing on the cake. It's intellectual, spiritual stimulation. It might challenge and stretch your soul. It doesn't sustain you. It's not even designed to do that. So I want to be really you know, encouraging to you if I can. If you're not a new believer, right, get in the Word of God so you can grow. Start getting in that word. Ask the right questions. Lean in, understand, apply scripture to your life. And a great place to start is the reading journal that we have as a companion to your teaching series here in Ephesians. And if you are a new believer, hey, we're excited to come alongside you and help teach you this stuff. So your spiritual growth is important and it matters because your maturity benefits the body of Christ as a whole. We need you to grow because you make us stronger. You complement what God is doing. You bring something to the table that's so unique. We need you. Now, if you're physically fit, you know being healthy isn't just about eating the right stuff. You eat the right food to give you energy, but you also have to put those muscles to work, right? And so the way we put our spiritual muscles to work is to live out our faith. And so in the body of Christ, we need to live out truth because truth and love build unity. Look at verse number 15. Paul says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
the word truth is actually a verb. I, I, I know it sounds crazy because we don't think of truth in that way as a verb, but remember, Paul is using the Greek language when he's writing this letter, right? And so the literal translation reads, truthing in love. <laughs> Sounds odd. The thought in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as it was in other Eastern cultural contexts, was that truth is not limited to just knowledge. Truth is something that you're supposed to live out. So a truthful person is somebody who lives out their obligations and what is said and done. What that means is you can't live in truth and not love other people. Like both of them are required. And the big question, of course, is you know, like what does it mean to live in truth and love? Because it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people as we see in our world today, right? Well, living in truth and love in the context of a Christian life, it means that we're growing in Christ. We, we had a teaching on Jesus being full of both grace and truth back in July, and we explained how Christ is both and, not either or. We, we can't live in truth or love. We're to live in truth and love. And so as a result, we grow in Christ. And as we grow in Christ that way, we're brought in closer to a relationship with Him and in conformity to His character and His will for our lives. So this unity, which springs from, from living out truth and love, it can't be something you attain on your own. Paul would explain spiritual growth today in terms not of individual growth necessarily. That's important, but that's not necessarily what he would explain it in terms of. He would actually talk about more in terms of community. So individual growth is, that's not shared with the rest of the body of Christ is not actually true spiritual growth because the individual and the community are interconnected in the body of Christ. This is a concept, by the way, which is all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. You may be full of God's wisdom and patience and grace, and able to help coach and steer younger people to, you know, who are just starting off in this crazy life in the right direction, right? If you withhold that gift of wisdom, it doesn't benefit the body as a whole, does it? But when you share it by mentoring and coaching and discipling other people, the body is better off for it. So perhaps you're gifted in, in teaching, and you can lead a group, or maybe you have a heart for kids, or hospitality pours out of you, man, because you love people. Whatever those gifts might be, the body of Christ is stronger when you exercise them in the community and it demonstrates how you are selflessly emptying yourself for the benefit of others in a way that Christ did for us. And as you exercise your spiritual gift, the body, it grows. And as you grow to spiritual maturity, hey, the body grows with you. And as you live out your faith and truth and love, unity is built, uh, you guessed it, the body grows. You can't accomplish unity on your own. You have to be connected with the body of Christ. And so walking in unity can only be accomplished by God's own power through the ministry of gifted believers whom Christ has given and brought into the church. It is impossible to walk in spiritual maturity and growth and be separated from the church. There's a lot of different ways to do church. Some gather corporately like we do here at Radiant. Others are part of house churches and networks that are similar to that manner. Missionaries, they have the gift of evangelism and apostleship, right? Two of the gifts we talked about earlier. They're reaching people overseas. They're planting new churches in different villages and towns and cities. And some of us are doing that right here in America as well, by the way. There are plenty of ways to do church. But what you can't do is stay disconnected. Like you can't just watch or listen to us every week and not be connected in some way, shape, or form to a community of believers. That's never been and never will be part of God's plan and design. 
We were designed to do life together. And it's why Paul so often characterizes the church as the body of Christ. It has multiple parts, different ways to do things, different functions, but all are connected together and necessary to function as we should, to be complete. And so my prayer for you today is that you will not only get connected, but stay rooted in a community of believers. Find the right church community. There's no perfect one out there, by the way. But find the right one to dig deep into and grow together and build each other up. Let me pray for you today. Father, I love you, man. Thank you for every individual watching and listening here today. God, some are working, some are driving, running, whatever there is they're doing. Lord, I pray right now that... You would just touch each and every person and let them know, Lord, they are part of a global body of Christ, but they also need a local body of Christ to be a part of here as well. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to discover the gifts you've given them to build ministry, effective ministry, which reaches people for you. God, I pray as they grow spiritually, getting into your word, studying your word, God, soaking in their lives, that, Lord, they would begin to come to maturity in their faith. And as they come in maturity in their faith, Lord, they're helping the body grow and being effective as well. And Lord, I pray that they would live out truth and love. God, to take their faith and live it out, that that would build unity within the body of Christ that they're a part of. Lord, I thank you that you've gifted us, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of reaching others for you and your kingdom and your name. May we demonstrate that selfless act that Christ demonstrated for us and living out truth and love and, and, and taking the gifts you've given us, God, and pouring it out to others, Lord, to, to reach them and for their benefit. Lord, may we take what we've learned here today in Ephesians 4 and, 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 and make that a part of our lives. And we be rooted in the body of Christ. If, if there are those out there listening and watching right now that don't have a body of Christ to be a part of, Lord, I pray that you would direct them to the right body. And they'll get connected, form a relationship, and grow together. We were never meant to do life alone. We were meant to do life together uh, as one. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he did for us, how he died for us, how we're given freedom in life because of his sacrifice for us. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.